Okay, good morning everybody. Thank you for coming and as I mentioned last night, um, and I thought about it last night often meeting, wow, it was good to have you guys here and um, it's we've had a few uh, young people seminars and we've had a youth conference, mainly been young people, um, which is excellent and wonderful, but uh, it's nice to have and see so many familiar faces that we haven't seen in a while. So having you here is um, a great blessing and encouragement to us. So I just want to say thank you. I, I'm i not great. You know, I asked Kevin last night, Kevin Hurt, to do an introduction, and he did a good job. Um, I, at some point, I'm going to ask him to tell us his testimony, not probably this uh, weekend, but just tell, he's told me that before a number of times about being a biker, the long hair. I mean, can you see it? I mean, I think there's those apps now. You could do it, and we could put a picture up of him. That would... I don't think he's in here right now. That would get him, right? We have it up there uh, tonight. Uh, whoa! <laughs> but we probably shouldn't do that. Um, oh, there you are! <laughs> oh, boy! We would never do that. Where That would not be... That would not be... I was just totally joking, you know. Okay, that's a great start to my uh, session. Um, but uh, regarding introductions, I, I, I do want to um, just mention briefly, people ask me, and I just want to kind of get this out of the way. So I was born in England, in London, um, a long time ago. And uh, when I was nine years old, my family immigrated to South Africa. Uh, the reasons were completely economic. Sometimes people think, oh, that's great, you're from a missionary family. And I wasn't at all. Uh, but we moved to South Africa for economic reasons. Uh, shortly afterwards, the whole dream kind of collapsed. My parents divorced. Um, but I enjoyed growing up in South Africa, and uh, I was thankful as I went through my teenage years into my early 20s, not to have grown up in London where we lived before. Just South Africa is a beautiful country. Um, and I came to know the Lord when I was 23 years of age. Um, again, probably through the faithfulness of different people that um, testified regarding the Lord Jesus Christ, not in a strong, dominant way, but just quietly lived their life out in front of me. And I was searching for purpose. Why am I here? Uh, why am I created? Uh, who made me? And, and so on and so on. Um, how did I end up? I just want to touch on this because this will be part of what we'll talk about this morning. How did I end up in the United States? How did I end up at the Evangelical Institute? Um, I joined a mission organization called Operation Mobilization or OM. Uh, ended up in Europe and a staff lady who's no longer on staff here um, came over to the Czech Republic where I was working and um, went through this three-month training school that I was working at alongside an Australian pastor and his wife. And um, she was about 45 years of age or so, and uh, the school was made up, or the training school was made up of mostly young people, and there was her. And uh, she just stood out to me as such a good example. She never complained in the three months, and we made things as hard as we kind of could in preparation for where they would go. And she never complained, never murmured. Um, and I was like, wow. That's, that's, I mean, all the young people, they would moan and complain. They didn't like the food. They didn't like that we had to do this. And why did we need to do that? And um, so on. But she never murmured, complained, not one time. And that really struck me as a, a tremendous example. And she actually gave me... Um, the How to Worship book uh, that I, this is a newer copy, a newer print from Moody, but she gave me the How to Worship Jesus Christ book, and I read it, and I was like, oh, wow, I don't know anything really about that. Um, and then she told me about the school, and eventually, as an inter international student, I ended up coming here in 1996, and I graduated in 1998, um, and then uh, shortly after that, uh, I got married to uh, Mr. Nuremberg's daughter, Becca. Hey, Becca. And uh, we were heading off to missions. Uh, that was to go back to Europe. That was our goal. And uh, a year or two went by, and they asked us if we would come and uh, serve at the school. And honestly, I have to say, I never saw myself coming back here, but the Lord clearly 
orchestrated that and led us back here. So I ended up coming back in 2002. Uh, we had two kids then. Um, and so in, I think it was probably July or August 2002, we ended up here at the school and uh, have been on staff ever since. So almost 20 years on staff. And um, anyway, that's some of where I'm coming from. And I, I'm telling you that because what I want to talk about this morning is more stories, true stories, um, events that have happened that I have seen here that the Lord is at work. And I'm doing that in order to encourage each of us to realize and know the Lord is at work today uh, in wonderful ways. I have a, a booklet. I mean, you would be greatly inspired. George Mueller, the man of faith, full of excellent illustrations and the ways that he trusted the Lord. And um, you read it and you think, oh, wow, but the Lord is at work and uh, he wants us to trust him. We heard last night about being confident um, in, in prayer and the Lord is at work and we need to testify to that. And that's what I want to do somewhat this morning. So let's pray and uh, trust the Lord with, with our time together. Father, we come and we thank you, O oh Lord, for your goodness and grace to us. Lord, we thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You are the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Lord, we can look back and see your faithfulness. We can see the ways in which you work. O oh Lord, and we look today and ask that you would work today. We thank you that uh, you want your people to testify to the greatness of who you are and the ways in which you are continuing to work out your purposes on this earth. We trust you with our time now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you have your Bible, if you can turn to Luke chapter 11, the text's up there, but it's always good to open the Bible. Um, and as I usually do, I'm not going to do it to you, but if you don't have your Bible... Uh, this is what I say to my class. What are you supposed to do if you don't have your Bible in my class? Go, Go and get it. I mean, how can you be at a Bible school and not have a Bible? I mean, um, you know, it's like one plus one equals four. I mean, you just got to have a Bible. So I'm not going to make you do that. Um, if you don't have a Bible, you just keep your head down. Um, no, so. <laughs> Um, but Luke chapter 11 and verse 1, uh, this is the ESV, so I'm going to read it from the screen here. But it's good to open it up and you know, kind of get a feel of where we are. But now Jesus was praying. Think of that statement. Now Jesus was praying. Jesus wanted to pray, had the need to pray, desired to pray. And we can pick that up in other places as well. Now Jesus was praying. It's past tense in a certain place. And when he finished, it seems as if I was reading Campbell Morgan that he was on his own, alone in prayer. And there are absolutely vital times that we need to be alone with the Lord. And it is encouraging to pray together, obviously, as well. But at this point, Jesus was praying in a certain place. Campbell Morgan goes on to say, we don't know whether he was speaking out loud or whether he was just quietly speaking to his father, but he was praying, and he came to a point when he was finished, and when he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And this is the point that I want to think about this morning as I tell you some of these illustrations and, and true stories over the last 20-odd years or so. Lord, teach us to pray, and we must Ask the Lord to give us a heart to learn. Uh, I think uh, the the art of praying, the the desire to pray, uh, is in us if we know the Lord. But we often struggle to know how to pray or what to pray. We heard some of that last night as well, and I want to touch on some of that. I'm not going to give you all the answers. I'm not probably going to give you a lot of the answers. But what I am going to give you is some principles and some truth that you can apply to your own life. Now, it is being applied here at EI, um, and that's the context of the passages and the stories that I'm going to tell you, but I don't want you to walk away from here at the end of the conference thinking, oh, I wish I lived at EI, because that's where God answers prayer. God does answer prayer here, but He answers prayer where you live. And where I, I live further down or whether you're in another state, the Lord is at work and he loves to be trusted. Mr. Carroll would often say that to us. The Lord loves to be trusted. 
Um, and it was always a personal challenge to me. The Lord loves to be trusted. I like it when, when my kids trust me. How much more when we trust the Lord Himself? And so that's the, the, the context, the, the verse that I want to use. Lord, teach us to pray, um, in regards to what we'll go through today. All right. So Joe and I are going to work this together. So hit the second. I don't have the clicker, but we just did it. Good. Uh, the sufficiency of God. 50 years. We uh, Next year, 2022, uh, the school would have been um, in session for 50 years. 50 years. Um, and I, I, I think back, I haven't been involved all of that time. Obviously, I've been on staff almost 20 years. I was a student for a couple of years. Uh, so not even half of 50 years. But as I look out and as I look back over the, the, the years, I can just testify to the sufficiency of God himself in the work here and in lives around us. People that we have seen and met and know the sufficiency of God. And so that's the big first point that I want to stress. God is sufficient. In the Lord, there is sufficiency. God Himself, not just a, a vague sense of who God is, but God Himself is sufficient. And I'm going to testify to that. I am going to mention people's names from time to time, but not to glory in man, but to do so only to point you to the Lord. And uh, that's my heart, that's my desire today, uh, for us to see the sufficiency of God that you can come to Him in prayer and you can say, Oh Lord, teach us to pray. Oh Lord, teach me to pray, trusting, knowing that God is sufficient in every sense and in every way for what He is doing and you and I have the great privilege to join Him in what He is doing. Oh, that's the right one. Yeah, I was thinking something else was going to come up. That's good. February 23rd, 1972, a prayer letter. I have it in my hand. Uh, this is not the original. I have it, uh, one of them in, in my office. And uh, I'm going to read you some excerpts. So 1972, for you that uh, know some, some of the Institute, you'll, that, that year, 1972, will um, click in your mind because that's the year the school started. But it started in September 1972 with the first class of which Mr. Nuremberg was part of. This is February 22nd, uh, 23rd, 1972, so maybe eight months beforehand. And Mr. Carroll had written a prayer letter to some prayer partners. Um, and he goes through, it's two pages long, and uh, I'm not going to read all of it, so um, we don't have to be concerned about that. But he does touch on a number of things that that are helpful as a core, as a base, as a foundation of where we want to go this morning. So I'm going to read some of it. And if you like what I've, you know, if you would like a copy of this, should I say, Lydia will be in the back and she'll give you a copy of this prayer letter after the, the meeting. I don't want to hand it out now because you won't listen to anything I say. You'll just uh, read the letter. Um, so uh, I'll read some of the, the contents of it. But I would encourage you, um, it's a prayer letter. There's nothing in it that um, uh, needs to be hidden and, and or... or uh, shouldn't be read, um, but it's really interesting to go back before the school even began and uh, see how the Lord was at work and and the heart and the the vision that Mr. Carroll had in regards to the work. I'll read some. I read the opening paragraph. What I have to say in this letter, I believe, is of extreme importance in order that you might have a fuller understanding of what we believe. The Lord would have us attempt, remember it hasn't started, for His glory, underline that, here at the Institute. My convictions, which I will share with you in this letter, have not been arrived at quickly. I want you to note that sentence. Uh, Mr. Carroll clearly had some convictions on why this school, this institute ought to be here, and they weren't arrived at quickly. That's a good lesson for us. The Lord doesn't show us all at once what we are to do. He doesn't always quickly answer. We are an impatient people. We don't like to wait. We want to know what the Lord wants so we can get on with it. But Mr. Carroll, in this letter, um, as he 
uh, refers to it, these convictions have, um, have not been arrived at quickly. Rather, they are a combination of many years of meditation and prayer. Many years of meditation and prayer. Concerning the need of our times, I am convinced we have entered into a period of very intense spiritual conflict, which will increase in its tempo as we approach the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of this, it is absolutely essential that our young people especially be trained in the principles of the Word of God in order that they might be sufficient in Christ. Catch all of that. You can get the letter afterwards to think about it a little bit more. That was the the heart of it. Young people would be trained in the Word of God that they might be sufficient in Christ for any situation confronting them. In other words, they would bring glory to God throughout their life. It is only as they understand and apply the principles clearly revealed in the Word of God that they will be able to stand and withstand the enemy in these days. I'll just read a slight, one more uh, um, sentence. My chief burden is that an opportunity be given to those who do not anticipate spending four years at a Bible college to be trained in discipleship. That is, what is that? To be trained in discipleship is to how to walk with the Lord, number one, to walk, how to face the enemy, how to fight, how to study their Bibles, and to face the increasing error in our times. In other words, to learn to walk, to fight, and to be discerning. And I think that's just as appropriate and applicable today. To walk, to fight, to be discerning. We certainly need to be discerning today. And then lastly, I'll read a little bit of the closing uh, paragraph. You would rejoice with us if you could hear the music of the bulldozer. (laughs) As As it is preparing the ground for the erection or the building of the first building, I am continually amazed at the grace of God toward us, at the way that He has brought together men of great gifts and abilities who are planning this first wing. He goes on to say, and that speaks much of faith there, we have quite a remarkable unity of spirit and outlook. Speaks of unity. All of these men um, have the main qualifications for teaching young people. Now, remember, the staff wasn't formed yet, and so Mr. Carroll would bring in different men to teach. Um, after two years of, of training, Mr. Nuremberg and Mr. Johnson then began to teach at the school, and that was the core of the, the teaching staff of, for um, many, many years. Um, I'll just read the last... Uh, couple of sentences. We do not know just how many students we will have uh, accommodations for. Again, speaks of faith, trusting, moving forward, not knowing everything. But we will certainly give precedence to those who apply first and of who, and of course, who meet the standards required by us. What are those standards? Someone that has a seeking heart. That's it. Someone that wants to know the Lord. Pray. The Lord will send us such. So I'm not going to read any more of that. You are welcome to go and uh, get a copy of that afterwards if you would like one. Briefly, I want to move to, uh, I guess, my first story, my first uh, um, illustration. If we can move to the next slide. It, um, in Luke chapter 22, verse 38, it speaks about um, one of the disciples asking the Lord, how many swords? Is this enough swords? And, you know, that, that always intrigued me. And I know as a student back in 1996, I had a lot of questions. And uh, from time to time, I was thankful for the staff, Mr. Nuremberg, Mr. Johnson, Mr. Carol, they were always willing to have you come talk to them, and uh, I would write down a series of questions that I had and go and ask them questions. And I remember one afternoon, I went up to Mr. Carroll's house and asked him if I could come and see him, and uh, had a number of questions. I can't remember exactly how many, but 
you know, probably five or six, something like that. My first question was, and we sat down and uh, he prayed and I thought, oh, wow, this is going to be awesome. Um, and uh, I, I asked him, I said, you know, in, in Luke chapter 22, verse 38, speaks about um, this issue of swords. And, and uh, why do you think that uh, um, the Lord said that was enough or these two swords were enough? And Mr. Carroll looked up at me and he said, I don't know. But what I do know is you need to have a surrendered heart. Like, whoa. So the rest of my questions just evaporated on my page. They just disappeared. <laughs> and I learned something that day. Keep the main thing the main thing. I thought, wow. I came away from that. And I was greatly encouraged and, I, and, and convicted as well. Um, of course, we heard about having a surrendered heart each and every day. That's what he said to me. I don't know. And it was very kind and gentle. I think many of you know that, and you met him um, one-on-one, very kind and gentle. I, I don't know, but I do know that you need to have a surrendered heart. <clears throat> so I left there, a little while, we talked about some other things, and, and, and so when I left there, and I realized that's, I've got to keep the main thing the main thing. And we have other such uh, statements here, I'm sure. Now, that happened when I was a student, and but it, it kind of shaped me early on. I never had the anticipation of coming back here as a staff member. I really didn't. But when I did come back, that's still, and is still in my mind. Um, students will ask me from time to time, why do you think, and I, I don't know, but you need to have a surrendered heart. Uh, One of the men that, uh, and, and, and you'll note this in here about the importance of reading good books, one of the men that Mr. Carroll would introduce, I'd never heard of him before, was Hanley Moore, and uh, he would often talk about him in his, his meetings, and uh, one of the things that, uh, I can't remember if um, when exactly it was, but even as a student, we were introduced to this morning act of devotion, and uh, this evening act of confession. And uh, and this is uh, something that I want to go on from. Can we go to the next slide? And these bookmarks are back um, at the back of the uh, auditorium. You're welcome to take these. But um, just referring to to this particular morning act of faith by Hanley Moore, I believe on the Son of God. It's just full of good scripture. Therefore, I am in him, having redemption through his blood and life by his spirit. He is in me and all fullness is in him. Note this, to him I belong by creation, purchase, conquest, and self-surrender. That really struck me um, as a student here. And um, when I came on to staff, it, it came to me at some point, oh, we need to get this morning act of faith, couldn't find uh, the evening act anywhere. And we began to pray, oh, Lord, show us how to... to uh, find this. I know in one of Jerry's, Jerry White's books, he has the morning act of, of faith written out on one of the pages, but he never had the evening act. And I did a lot of research, a lot of searching, couldn't find the evening act anywhere. And I thought, oh, it'd be so great to be, have a bookmark with the morning act and then turn it over. And there's the evening act of confession. Can you put that next slide up? And uh, again, this just, we began to think, how, how can we, um, can you go, Okay, so that should say, um, okay, keep going one more time, because that's the rest of the morning act. Then comes the evening act of thanks, confession, and surrender. So he began his day with the Lord. He ended his day with the Lord. But we didn't have this statement. Um, can you go one more? So that's the rest of it. And you can pick those bookmarks up there. I couldn't find, we couldn't find this evening act of thanks anywhere at all. And... Uh, began, you know, asking people, and no one seemed to have it. We looked everywhere, and then... Um, you know, in our search for it, um, one of the staff members found a piece of paper uh, and uh, brought it out and said, here, I have this. Uh, and it, it was almost complete. It wasn't quite complete. And at that point, I believe, um, again, just seeing the Lord at work, Mr. Johnson said, oh, I know that evening act of uh, uh, thanks and confession and surrender. And he just kind of spoke it out. He had memorized it, amazingly. And uh, we checked it out with the sheet of paper, and it was it was pretty close, and we were able to form it and get the evening act. Now, I'm sure it's in one of Hanley Moore's books. 
But my challenge to you would be you find it in one of Henley Moore's books. <laughs> it's not easy. There's a lot of books and I, we couldn't find it anywhere. But again, this was for me such a example of answered prayer. We wanted to find this to give it to believers, to encourage them on their way. This evening act of thanks, confession and surrender is a tremendous statement at the end of the day. Can you go back one? I just want to read this to you. At the end of the day, he would come before the Lord and he would say this. From all this day has brought me, I come apart to you. Oh, dear and sovereign master. So at the end of the day, he would quietly get on his own, it would seem. And he would go through this statement of thanks, confession and surrender. For all that you have been to me each hour. Isn't that amazing? Each hour he knew that the Lord was enough to him. I bless you for everything which of your mercy you have done through me. I give you humble thanks. All transgressions and shortcoming, even in the most secret thought, this is him, I now confess and I renounce. So he comes at the end of the day and he knows he hasn't been a perfect man. He, he wants to be a clean vessel before the Lord. I lay it on your head for pardon. He doesn't try to deal with it himself. He lays it before the Lord for pardon and beneath your feet for deliverance. Wow. Isn't that amazing? He doesn't just want to be forgiven. He wants to overcome. And be delivered. And, and he's trusting in the Lord. Your feet for deliverance. You do accept and deliver me even now, he says. Now more than ever. Even more. Every day more than ever. I owe myself to you. Oh Lord, you've done so much for me. I, even now more than ever I owe myself to you. Night and day. Your bond service is my one and perfect freedom. Wow, what a statement. You have to, you know, this is a good um, uh, description or confession to think through. It is good day by day to see you, my Lord, and my life, and to lie down night by night beneath your smile. Amen. And you'd go to bed. Wow. We talk a lot here about starting with the Lord and ending with the Lord. This bookmark, a morning act of devotion and faith, a commitment for the day. I didn't read through it, but at the end of the day, an evening act of thanks, confession, and surrender. Tremendous statements for you and I to think about and to consider. I'm very much a morning person. Um, this isn't something that's easy for me to think about at night, but, but what a commitment Hanley Mould made. And this is something that Mr. Carroll introduced here. And, and the, these kind of statements, these short statements that were very helpful for us to learn to walk with the Lord. And so these morning acts, this morning act, this evening act, just great principles of the Christian life. But in answer to prayer, the Lord supplied. I, I quickly contacted Jerry White and said, oh, we found it. He said, you did? Great. Send it to me. I'm going to put it in my next uh, um, disciples, disciples notebook. And in it went. Um, and so just, again, seeing the Lord, these little things, seeing the Lord at work was, was uh, helpful for me um, to learn to pray, learn to trust, learn to see the Lord at work. Can you go to the next slide? Early on in the work, um, is there one before that? Okay, go to the next slide. Go to the next one. Okay, go back. Go back one more. All right. So there's one slide missing, but that's fine. It, it's it's the term would be persuasion and endurance. And I want to tell you this story. Um, Again, to, to illustrate the importance of not trying to persuade God in prayer, but learning to endure in prayer. I'm, I'm not sure of the date. I could find it, but um, it was fairly early in my uh, our time here on, on uh, staff. We lived down in a trailer, double-wide trailer down there. 
And it was about 5.30 in the morning, and we got a phone call that uh, Matt Schwerker, who was a staff member at that time, um, had had a stroke in India. And we were all called to come and pray. And so we came up to the main classroom. I mean, I can remember it as yesterday. And the students uh, and the staff that were there at the time, we began to pray. And Mr. Nuremberg uh, led us in prayer. And probably, you know, we had to come quickly. By quarter to six, we were praying. And we prayed. And we prayed. And we prayed. And occasionally, Mr. Nuremberg would direct us in, in, in a certain way. One of the things that he said to us, we need to pray for the main thing. We need to pray. I remember this specifically. We need to pray for Mr. Schwerker. The Lord would keep him. I mean, this was a, uh, a desperate situation for him. We began to, to move away from that. We began to pray for Mr. Schwecker's wife, which is not a bad thing, but he said, that's not what we're here for. I was learning. I was listening. Pray for the main thing. You know, emotionally, you begin to, you think about, she needed to get there. Um, she needed quickly to get her passport. And we began to hope and praying that she was doing well. Pray for Mr. Schwecker. And we came back again. Came back again. And I'm listening and I'm, I'm thinking, I'm getting tired. I, I'm, I'm like, whoa, how long are we going? Um, you know, I'm a soldier, but I'm not that much of a soldier. Um, and, uh, then at one point he said to us, remember, we're not here to persuade God. We're here to come before the Lord on behalf of Matt Schwecker. We're not trying to twist God's arm to heal him. We're here to see the Lord glorified in all of this. And Matt Schwecker raised up. Amazingly, I'm not going to go into all that happens, but we prayed probably till about quarter till nine. We were there a long time. Uh, and uh, it was amazing just to see the Lord begin to quicken and the Lord begin to work. And I learned a lot that morning. It's like a morning I've never experienced before. But then at the end of about quarter to nine, he said to us, okay, now I want you to go with your prayer partners and I want you to pray. For the next hour. Like, what else can you say? I, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I don't know what else to say, Lord. I, and I'm not trying to persuade you, Lord. I'm not trying to convince you. Um, and I was learning by praying. And in my prayer partner at the time, we went and we got together, one of the staff members, and we began, to, and, uh, he started to pray. Um, and, and Mr. Nuremberg had mentioned, go pray for the next hour. And I was like, hour, wow. Um, and, uh, my prayer partner began, uh, began to pray. And I prayed. I thought, now we're going to chat and talk about how. And then he prayed. I'm like, oh. And I was like, and then I prayed. Okay, now, surely. And then he prayed. And then I prayed. I thought, now, now. Then he prayed. And I learned something about endurance. I learned that hour. We prayed for one hour. And I learned a little bit about endurance in that hour by praying. We can talk about enduring in prayer, but... And we can study the Greek word, and uh, we can look at all the commentaries. But I don't think we get it until we actually do it. And that day, that morning, now I'm not going to go into all of the story how the Lord did meet um, and did bring Matt back, and um, yet he always would have a limp. And um, some of the incredible things the Lord did, I, I, but I saw the Lord answer prayer. And you struggle a little bit, like, how does this... What is my part? What is God's part? I, I don't know. But I know we need to pray. And I learned that day, that morning, we're not here to persuade God, but we must endure. Can you go to the next slide? Boy, I could tell you a whole lot more, but I, I, I don't have time. And this, this closed door story, we, uh, I was an international student and Matt Schwecker, after he, um, the Lord raised him back up and he was able to come back on staff he, after a, a, a massive stroke, which was a miracle in itself. Uh, he was in charge of, um, helping, uh, the internationals get in and we couldn't get one in, couldn't get one in. And I remember praying and I was going back to that enduring, enduring. We got to pray. 
We're going to persuade, but we got to pray. And and where you know where is our faith? And we would pray, and and nothing. And eventually, we got one in. I think uh, one international student is like, oh, we really want to have international students here. And then um, the next year, no one came. And then we made a decision, Matt made the decision, well, I'm going to go see a lawyer and see if there's any. And we went to the lawyer and he just simply said, oh, you know what your problem is? And he said, what? It's the wrong visa. Like, oh, it is? Yeah, it's the wrong visa. You're trying to use this H visa, you should use this other visa. I can't remember the letter. It wasn't the F visa, it was another one. We eventually got to the F visa, but the student visa, but this is the one you should be using. Oh, so then we changed everything and began to use this other visa, and in came the international students again. But that wouldn't have happened if the door hadn't remained firmly closed. If we'd got another one in, we would have pressed on and pressed on, but the firm closed door caused us to go in a completely different direction. And I share that with you because sometimes the Lord closes a door firmly in order to, to help us as um, little children realize where he wants us to go. Can we go to the next slide? Oh boy. Um, I'm going to run out of time with all these stories, but a blank piece of paper. Um, I'm not sure the date, but at one prayer conference, Jerry White stood up and uh, said that we should, we are going to build a prayer chapel here. Do you remember that, Mr. Nimberg? <laughs> We're going to build a prayer chapel. And, uh, you know, and Mr. Jerry White's faith is, you know, wonderful. And then he left and we were going to build a prayer chapel. <laughs> now, if you understand the finances of the work here, uh, there's not money to build a prayer chapel. Um, but people did give some money, and uh, um, I can't remember how much it was. Um, maybe ended up, all the money came in, about $20,000. And our goal was to build the prayer chapel back behind the kitchen area down in the woods there. We never really had enough, and I know that uh, Mr. Nuremberg had to do a lot of work to get permissions and this and that and so on. And... Uh, it came a point we needed to use the money to pay the staff and we didn't have any money, but we were going to build a prayer chapel. Uh, and the years kind of went by and some more money came in for the prayer chapel, which we hadn't started. And then we made a, a big decision to actually not build it over there. Let's build it up here behind where Mrs. Carroll used to have a vegetable garden. That We're going to build a prayer chapel. And, uh, you know, some more money came in and a fresh initiative. Uh, we didn't have money to pay the staff, so we used it. And so our prayer chapel account or um, uh, fund, uh, basically we didn't have any money. Uh, but we were going to build a prayer chapel. And um, I'm like, whoa. But I do know that uh, it was December 2012. It was during the uh, Christmas break, and I remember thinking, oh, Mr. Carroll's house was really falling down. And we needed to build a prayer chapel and, and the house was falling down and we needed to repair the house and we really didn't have any money at all. Um, and I remember going to Mr. Nuremberg's office and talking to him. I said, well, what are we going to, you know, what should, what do you think we should do? And, and I, this is how I remember it. Uh, you know, it was kind of a bleak day anyway. And we're like, oh, no. maybe we should phone Jerry. He was the one that had the idea in the first place. Let's phone Jerry. <laughs> Yeah, I just, you know, oh, Lord, you know, this is your work. Um, and as Hudson Taylor would say, you know, God's work done God's way will never lack God's supply. I called Mr. Jerry Wine. He said, and I told I just was honest. I said, well, you know, wow. He said, I want, what I want you to do is get a blank piece of paper. So I got, I said, okay. And I said, I want you to get that blank piece of paper and I want you to put it on the table and we're going to pray. And that was such a moment for me of all my good ideas, intentions, thoughts, ways in which maybe we can help God out. What is, go back to the drawing board. And, and that's been a good principle for me in prayer at times. I, I, I don't know what the Lord wants us to do. Go back and put a blank piece of paper on the table. Oh Lord, show us what to do. And I cannot explain this, honestly. But it was in, this was Christmas 2012. A little while later, 
A um, couple of months later, Mr. Reisner came here in 2013. It was the last time that he would visit. And somehow, and, I, and I'm not going to go into names, somebody suggested, you should turn the prayer chapel, excuse me, you should turn Mr. Carroll's house into the prayer chapel. I'm like, oh, wow. And I thought, being an administrator, two things at once, prayer chapel and Mr. Carroll's house. What a great idea. And, uh, of course, I didn't want to run ahead because I had a blank piece of paper and I spoke to Mr. Uh, Reasoner about it. He said, yes, that's it. I'm like, oh boy. Um, he was a man of faith. Speaks of in Proverbs as, uh, the, the, uh, the men of faith or the, the righteous are as bold as lions and, and, and just, he said, this is, that's it. That's it. As I, if you know, if you knew him, that's what he would do. He said, that's it. That's it. Well, before he said that, he would look up like this, you know. That's it. And uh, that's it. Okay. And uh, th- and then he wrote out this manifesto to me of uh, the last day, the last time I, I did see him. I didn't bring it here. And we were going to build the prayer chapel in that summer. I'm like, whoa. And we were going to, you know, turn the whole uh, building around. And um, But I would say over the next year, it took us longer than that. But it, it was amazing. The Lord supplied. I, I, I don't even think about it. I can't think about it. But somehow, the Lord supplied the right man to work on the house, to work through all the details. We be, began uh, work on the house um, probably in um, April that year. And we were going to do it in stages and trust the Lord. And everything we needed came through. Everything we needed. And again, that's why I testify, if you can go up to the prayer chapel, uh, we had a man, who, an architect, who was willing to help us. Um, I don't have, I should have brought it, but he had a piece of paper. Uh, that's all we had. And I remember going to the guy that was going to build it, uh, a man, a good man in our church. And I said, can you turn that house into that? He said, that's it. That's all you have. An artist's impression. That's it. One view. One view. Um, yeah. So you don't have any other plans? No. Um, okay. And, you know, he was willing to work with us. And it's astonishing what the Lord did, step by step. And I, I, you know, um, without going into all the details, the Lord provided everything that we needed at the right moment. And the school carried on, and the building got done, and it got completed, and we were able to dedicate it at a prayer conference, I can't remember, 2015 maybe, um, that we were able to dedicate the prayer chapel to the Lord. And we made a decision then that we would use the prayer chapel. This particular man that helped us, we made a commitment that we would use this building. It wouldn't remain empty. Every day that we were here in session at school, we would have people praying in that building. And we've done that since since we began. In the afternoons, the students get the opportunity to pray there. And I, I thought to myself, wow, I've been up to that building, and I know many of you have, but what a good testimony it would be if, that house be- could become a prayer chapel. It ended up being more expensive than what we had anticipated over there and over there, but the Lord provided. And that's a, you know, incredible, uh, provision of the Lord. And again, I, I, I say all this to you to encourage you. Perhaps you need to go back to a blank piece of paper and ask the Lord, what do you want? Can we go to the next slide? Bold faith, unanswered prayer, just real briefly speaking again of, of someone like Mr. Reasoner. Many of you have met him. Um, as mentioned, he would think briefly. I'm sure he never did tell me, but I'm sure he was praying. And then he, yes, that's what we should do. But I asked him, I said, well, what do you do, though? Like, it's great that you have faith in the Lord. Um, but what do you do when you... Um, have instances of unanswered prayer. And I'm like, wow. And he just said to me, well, I just say, Lord, and he was being as honest as anything. He just said, Lord, I obviously got that wrong. I don't know, but I'm going to pray on now for the next thing. And he just let it go. He didn't try to figure out what went wrong or why this happened or that happened. And and that was such a freeing thing to me. He said, I don't know. That was his answer. I don't know. Put it behind me and we'll press on. Have you ever heard that? That's how you deal with unanswered prayer. Um, and I thought, wow. And I've tried to apply that. I, 
you know, people ask, well, why is that? I, I don't know. But this is where we're going. And this is what we're trusting the Lord for. And this is how we'll keep praying. He had proved the Lord all those years. I don't know how old he was. I know he was in his 80s at that point. And I thought, if that's a good answer for him, that's got to be a good answer for us. I don't know. It doesn't mean that you don't care, but you can't figure it out. And he would let it go, and he would continue to pray about the other things that God was placing on his heart and focus on that. Can we go to the next slide? Oh, boy. Uh, this is a great story, I guess, in, in many ways. Um, I know when I uh, first read this How to Worship Jesus Christ book, at the end there's a testimony about Tom Walton. Uh, and I, If you've never read this book, uh, the testimony about Tom Walton, Lostness in Worship, is just a couple of pages. You should at least read that. I remember reading that and thinking, wow, this man, this young man, had such a heart for the Lord. Wish I knew more. And again, I, I'm somewhat naive about this. I don't know much about it. I wish we knew more about this young man. Wouldn't it be great if we could do a second volume about his life? And one day when the office was over there, I walked in there for something or other, and I saw sitting on the photocopier a piece of paper. And it was the um, some details about Tom Walton's life. And I looked at it. I'm like, oh, I've never seen this. No one's ever shown me this before. And I looked at it. And it was something that Warren was looking for. And I looked at it. And I saw it came from a book. And I'm like, there's a book? Nobody, why didn't anybody tell me about that? And so then I, we began to look for it. And then I looked on a used book uh, place. And I found the book, Tom Walton's Legacy. And I'm like, wow. Now, why, you know, how come... Why have we never done anything with this? And I thought, this would be a great book to reprint. Um, and so, I can't remember who it was I, uh, who was working uh, with me at the time. I had them try to find out how we could get permissions to reprint this book. And, of course, we couldn't find anything. The previous publisher had no idea. I, I don't know if they were out of business or what, but... Um, here it was, but we, we couldn't do anything about it. And I thought to myself, oh, Lord, what, what should we do? I know uh, three people in Australia. He's in Australia. I know three people in Australia. My mother, who doesn't know the Lord, so that wasn't helpful. Um, a friend of mine who, who used to follow the Lord, but doesn't follow the Lord anymore, so that wasn't helpful. And then I had the Australian pastor that I mentioned before and his wife that I knew. Uh, and I thought, well... I'm just going to write and see if they know uh, the author of this book, John Ridley, or they know something. So I wrote to them, I emailed them, and uh, Frida, uh, who's no longer with us, she kindly answered me. She said, you know what? John Ridley's daughter, she's my prayer partner. Oh, you no way. <laughs> oh, I was like, wow. She's my prayer partner. A distance prayer partner. We we don't get together, but we talk on the phone. And she gave me her information, and uh, I contacted her, and she said, "Of course, I give you permission to reprint, but there's just one condition. You have to send me. I don't know how many copies was it? Like ten? Send me ten copies of the book." And uh, I thought, "Wow." Since then, Frida's gone to be with the Lord, but at that time, the Lord met. A little like, Lord, what do you want us to do? Lord, show us the way to go. Give us direction. And the Lord began to open the door. And thankfully, we were able to reprint the book uh, some years later. And uh, we, we renamed it A Worshipper of Jesus Christ. So How to Worship Jesus Christ. And this is a follow-on book. And again, I recommend that. I'm not going to go into his life story just because... Um, we don't have time for it, but the Lord took him home before the war ended in the Second World War. And he certainly was a worshiper of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can we go to the next slide? Uh, Ashfeld or Concrete, uh, just real quickly, uh, you know, some years ago, um, again, you have to understand that the work functions on a very small budget. And... Uh, Recently, i just give you one example. I was sent a text saying I was able to pay all the bills and pay the staff. I can't remember the figure, but it was something. We have $750 in the bank. I'm like, Phew. It's close and it's tight. Um, 
someone came and they said, oh, we, we think that we should, uh, you should definitely uh, resurface the parking lot. I'm like, I, I agree with you. Uh, I mean, it's full of stones, and especially for the older people, they're slipping, and I agree with you. Find out how much it might be and, uh, you know, let us know. And uh, Mr. Steer was very helpful in looking into all of that. And, uh, again, my understanding of it was, okay. And then the project got shelved um, for a year or two. And then later on, somebody else came along and said, I think you should pave the, I really do think you should pave the parking lot. And I'm like, me too. Um, okay, find out how much it might be and let me know. So we went through situations, but the um, condition was, it needs to be, if I'm going to help you, it needs to be done in concrete. Oh, okay. Concrete. Wow. Um, asphalt or concrete? Now, concrete obviously is going to be a lot more expensive. I met with the person and they said to me, I will give you $60,000 to repave the parking lot in concrete. If you do it in asphalt, I'm going to give you nothing. Oh, boy. So lacking wisdom, I saw Mr. Nuremberg on the way to class, and I said to him, so someone told me that uh, we should, we could either do concrete, and they would give us $60,000 for the project, which wasn't enough, uh, or uh, if we do it in asphalt, which would have been enough, they're not going to give us anything. What do you think we should do? And his immediate answer was, concrete, let's go with concrete. <laughs> And being the lack of faith man that I am, I said, that's right, that's what the Lord wants. Good, let's, let's do concrete. And I, I, I again, I, I testify to all of that. I'm not going to go into all the details of everything because we don't have time, but the Lord met. And the Lord met in abundant ways. And I don't want to go into it all, but again, the sacrifice of many people to put that in. Prior to the building of the um, office, I'm not going to go into that story, we had an architect who had never been here before, and he was going to meet Mr. Nuremberg and I, I think it was at 9 o'clock in the morning. But he came at about 8.30 just to kind of check the place out. And at that point, we hadn't concreted the uh, parking lot. And he was like, whoa, um, I think you should put the building here, but you definitely need to do something about your parking lot uh, because that's not a good thing. But again, seeing the Lord meet and lead and supply has just been, again, a testimony of the sufficiency of God. Can we do one more slide? Watch and see, $25. I, I, I just tell you this story lastly, I think, just because of uh, the ways in which the Lord moved upon people. Uh, two years ago, we, we, um, well, a year and a half ago or so, we, we looked back through some of the students that still hadn't paid off their school fees and we, um, encouraged the students to finish well to, you know, it's not really about the money. It's about knowing that you've done what you're supposed to do. The school runs on about 20% of the tuition of the students, just to give you some perspective. So if we collected all the money that the students did owe us, it's not going to change the world here at all, but uh, it's more that they would be able to say, I'm finished, I'm done. And so I asked the younger staff, these are, I can't remember, seven of the people, these seven people still haven't paid from the years gone by. Let's pray and ask the Lord to supply or to prompt them to pay what they owe. Now, occasionally we would send them a, a small bill and we'd been doing that. Um, and then I think it, we started in October and I said, let's just pray and ask the Lord to meet them to do that, to have the, a heart to be able to pay what's owed. And, uh, in January when, um, Lydia was going to send a, uh, another letter out, I just put a short note on there, which I've done from time to time, encouraging them, please, you know, ask the Lord to, to direct your steps and to finish what you committed to. And, you know, it wasn't nothing big and I'd done that before. And we said, let's pray from October till May that the Lord would move upon these people um, so that uh, they can finish what they committed to. And nothing happened. Nothing happened. March, April, 
and it was right at the end of April. And again, my dates may be slightly off, but I know it wasn't quite May. And Lydia contacted me about one young lady. Uh, she had come and said, I, I, I can't remember. She owed quite a bit. She said, I, I, I believe that I should start paying back what I owe. I'm going to give you $25 a month, $25 a month. I'm like, that's something. You know, Elijah, he's praying and he tells his servant, go look. Do you see anything? No. Go back again seven times. I see a small cloud. The rains came. $25 every month. I, I can't remember, what was she owing? 6000 Higher than 6000 $25 a month. And then somebody else decided to pay a little bit. And then we got into May and then somebody else. And then a young man that had only done one year here, he sent a check in a month, you know, I, when was that? In June, maybe? For like $6,000. This is from my brother. This is to pay off my school fees. And uh, Lydia mentioned to me that uh, that's actually more than he owes. And I'm like, oh, well, let's not tell him. No, but... but that we. <laughs> Got to be upright. And so we figured out, and I don't know how much over it was. It was like 500 and something dollars. And um, let's contact him telling you, pay too much. And uh, he said, that's fine. You can, my brother said, just put it into your general fund. So uh, we did. And not every one of them, there was maybe seven of them, maybe five of them did it. The girl that paid $25 a month did it for maybe, what, three months, four months. And then she just decided, I'm going to pay everything. That was an answer to prayer. Just something small. Look for the small things. Um, the Lord is always sufficient. Now, I'm telling you these stories, and, and I don't want you to get the impression that it's easy. And uh, you, as Kevin Hurt told us last night, we have some kind of vending machine that we go to. A lot of this is, is struggle, um, difficulty, it never gets easy uh, to trust the Lord in these matters. And I want to close with three principles. Number one, the Lord is always sufficient. The Lord is always sufficient to do His will. But we have to know what the Lord wants to do. The Lord is always sufficient. Number two, we have to ask the Lord to help us walk and step with what He is doing. We must ask the Lord to help us to walk in step with what He is doing. And then thirdly, look for small answers. Look for small ways in which the Lord is answering prayer. Martin Lloyd-Jones encourages us that in that, and you might pray, Oh Lord, we need this. Oh Lord, Give me strength for that. And you read the Word of God and, and it might simply say to you, be, be bold and be courageous. Oh Lord, the Lord spoke to you. Look for small answers. Perhaps the Lord's redirecting you. But look for small ways in which the Lord is at work. It says to us in the Word of God, don't despise the day of small things, but look for small ways in which the Lord's... These little stepping stones. Maybe you think you should do that, but the Lord really wants to get you here. Look. And that's why we pray, watch and see. And this was amazing to me, and I'm thankful I didn't forget, and then you begin to see the breakthrough. And the Lord did a wonderful thing uh, in meeting some of those students to finish what they had committed to now, I could tell you many, many, many more stories um, of the Lord's good provision, His sufficiency, but I need to stop here. Um, but I want to pray and, and ask the Lord, whatever you are involved in, wherever you live, along with us, remember that the Lord is always sufficient and He loves to be trusted. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that you do want to teach us to pray. Lord, I thank you that you have met here. Lord, we've never gone without. Oh, Lord, you <clears throat> have gone before us. We believe strongly that this is your work. 
and you will direct it. Help us to be good servants and good stewards, and we trust you for that. And Lord, I pray for those here with us this weekend, that along with us, you would show us that you are more than sufficient. That, oh Lord, you would direct us to walk in step with what you are doing. And, oh Lord, remind us to look for the small ways, the small encouragements. Look for those, those clouds. You are at work and you are a God who answers prayer. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.